welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. talking, uh, so this series we've been talking about Christianity 101. What are some of the basic beliefs, practices, foundational truths of the Christian faith? I want to talk about the church. Uh, and uh, Matthew 16, 18, you may know that verse. It records Jesus giving his mission statement, which was basically him saying, I will build my church. You've heard that before? That's Jesus said um, his intention was. And, uh, and the next phrase, interestingly, he said, as you may know, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, of course, you can take that literally and see that no work of the enemy, Satan, the devil or hell will hold back the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's been happening for 2000 years and it continues to. But interestingly, I read from a theologian, um, one of the Chant brothers, Janelle studied under Barry Chant, I think, Ken and Barry Chant, Australian uh, Bible teachers, uh, I can't remember which one of them was reading an article and they pointed out that that phrase, the gates of hell, was an idiom in the time of Jesus, well known to be a description of something incredibly powerful, anything that was super powerful. So Jesus was effectively saying, I'm going to build my church and nothing's going to stop it. No nuclear power, cyclone, earthquake, anything you want to throw at it, it's not going to stop it. And, uh, and I think that's pretty cool. And of course, he's been doing that. Uh, he started soon after. He died on the cross, in case you didn't know, went to heaven. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, we read in Acts chapter 2, the church starts. And Jesus starts building. And, uh, and notice that uh, he, he doesn't do it by himself. And he doesn't send the Holy Spirit to work independently of people, but alongside people and through people, which is the incredible deal about the church, because God could have done it, you know, like he's done some things uh, when you read Bible history, just totally miraculously. There could be these amazing buildings that just pop up all over the world. You could just be shuffled along and these angels who, no offence to these guys, were just perfect musicians, absolutely expert, shining, no need for lights. They probably just, you know, open their robe a little and provide the, you know, and you could just have these incredible services you just rock up to. There'd be no need for anyone to be, you know, the sound to be perfect. You wouldn't be potentially angry at the sound guy for not making your mic work, but then you don't want to do that because he's bigger than you and he's your kid who probably wants to put you in an arm lock and beat you up if you say anything. Uh, but, you know, imagine that. It would just be perfect. But it would kind of be insipid too. It, it, it wouldn't be the same. And, uh, and so God's designed the church to have this divine element mixing with the human element. Here's perfection, our imperfection. Ordinary people with an extraordinary God working together. And, he, and you see right from the beginning, he's got a bunch of very ordinary, eclectic bunch of people. 
uh, and, he's, he, and they've got their flaws. You, when you read, you know, we all know Peter stands out, but the others also all had their issues as well. And yet God's quite happy to get along these people, pull them together, and then infuse them with the power and the anointing and the gifting of the Holy Spirit and say, come on, we can do something here. Isn't it amazing? Um, because if I was God, I, I, I'd be like, oh, that is so messy. Look, at no, no, everyone step aside, angels of perfection, go and do exactly what I ask. Whew, neat, tidy, you know. Um, but as I said, that's not God's plan and he knows something better for us because we can, by, you know, being part of what God's doing, uh, grow and, 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 and improve ourselves and also be part of what God wants to do in the world. And so he's been doing this for the last couple of thousand years. Uh, you know, getting people tasked to reach out to others with the good news of Jesus, uh, to, to reach in, as we say, uh, with, with love and training and discipleship to help each other grow and become who we're meant to be. And then, of course, to be a place of worship, reaching up all the time to worship God, to touch the glory of God, to be a place and a centre that, that, uh, that, that brings blessing to the Lord. Um, and you may know this, the word that they use in the Bible for the church in the New Testament, the Greek word ecclesia, meant a gathering. It meant uh, an assembly or just a meeting of people. And so when Jesus was talking about the church, when he said, I will build my church, people didn't think when they heard that in terms of a building. They were familiar with that word that he used and they realised, oh yeah, he's talking about a group of people. And, and in fact, for the rest of the New Testament, every time the word church is used, no one who read that initially ever thought that would relate to a, a structure, a chapel or a synagogue or a temple or any kind of physical building. It always speaks of a gathering of people. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and we are part of the fulfilment of that great mission statement because uh, Jesus is still building his church, one great family all around the world, as well as local gatherings like this one, and without the need of a building, just as we are today. So it's kind of cool that we were doing this session on the church uh, today because we are the church and we don't need a building. And it could start raining or hailing or, you know, it could be too hot or too cold or, you know, you might not have the air conditioned comforts of a structure, but we are still the church, right? We are people. And I've, you know, if you've travelled... The world and worshipped in different places uh, like I have, you will have seen some crazy kinds of gatherings in all sorts of places. Uh, you know, Rashida's mum passes a church uh, in India uh, where they had to meet out in the fields uh, for, I don't know, years, months, long, long time. And they would even have thunderstorms predicted and they would pray and they would have no rain in just that field where they were worshipping just so they could have church. And there'd be monsoons going on and floods and all that miraculous times. I've preached in funny little buildings in Thailand. I've preached in uh, smelly, awful places in Russia that are dark and dingy and there's one electric globe that's like a two watt thing that's fuzzing around and you can't see you know and but the presence of God is there you know and people are meeting with the Lord and 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 you and the light goes on in their eyes and they feel and sense the Holy Spirit touching them and lives are changed you know and uh, it's amazing and um, it's, it's this great community, the glory, the presence, the love of God comes and oh, 
settles, touches and changes lives. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, um, when Ruth and I first met, uh, you know, the church, they've got now, you know, a nice building, Pastor Phil's down there with thousands of people at Oxford Falls and all that, but that was a warehouse when we first went along. They just had a scratch here, and we did it too for 10 years, over the hill in Del Road. And yet how many lives get changed? How many times do you sense the presence of God in a warehouse? It doesn't, it, it's, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, so Paul the Apostle, the great church planner of the first century, he wrote about the church, and I want to look at a passage uh, from the book of Ephesians, and I want to draw three things out that talk about uh, us today and about the church. And notice we have no screens. So you may have to look at a Bible yourself. You may even have an analogue Bible, uh, you know, one with pages. Has anyone still got one of those? Does anyone remember those? You've probably all got Bible apps. Look, Brownie. Okay. Uh, uh, the technologically advanced sound guy with a paper Bible. Okay, so we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read from the NIV, the New International Version. Um, and uh, I'm going to read uh, from verse 11 down to verse uh, 16. And uh, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Wow. So that's God's intention for the church. Now notice there's six verses. I've got three themes and there's two verses per theme. The first one talks about ministry. Because if you read again verse 11 and 12, it says Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. These are known as the fivefold ministry gifts or the ascension gifts because it says just before that Jesus ascended to heaven and then gave these gifts to the church. And, um, uh, you know, traditionally people have looked to these positions or officers or people in the church to do all the ministry. Oh, an apostle, he plants a church. Oh, here comes the evangelist. He's going to get people born again. The prophet, he's going to bring a word from God. Pastors, teachers, you look after everyone and teach them how to follow God. Great. So they are called to the ministry. And we talk about ministers doing the ministry. But it's not actually God's intention for it to be that way, for these so-called ministers to do all the ministry. Because what does it say? Christ gave these people to the church for what? to equip the people for works of service. Or your Bible, if you're reading the King James, will say, for the work of the ministry. So all of us, as the people of God, are called to do the work of the ministry, but those particular positions or offices or people in the church are there to equip us, to train us, not to do all the work themselves. As I heard one preacher say, 
uh, recently. He said, look, pastors are not massage therapists at the shopping centre. They're more like personal trainers. And uh, I thought that's a good analogy because it's very easy to think, oh, I've got to go to church and I'm feeling sore and sad and sorry for myself and I need the pastor. Oh, here, great, give me right. Oh, the massage. Oh, I feel better. And here's my hundred bucks and I'll see you next week. And, uh, and that's, you know, sadly how some people treat the life of the church. But it's really more that we are wanting to go to the gym slash church to get fit to get strong, to be trained so that we can live life well. Because you know that feeling when you've exercised or if you're a, a you know, a gym person like, uh, where's Kath? I was shocked she told me she didn't go. She said, I've gone, she didn't go to the gym yesterday, but she goes all the time. You know, Eleanor goes to the gym and she loves it. She goes along, she's always trying to get, she ropes me in, oh, Dad, do a class. So I did, I went along, I did a class with Eleanor. There's Kath, of course, over there, and I'm doing the class, and there, you know, the step up, pump, Pilates, spin cycle, Zumba class, or whatever the latest incarnation of thing is and they've all got the moves and you've got to do this at that time and I'm following and I'm trying to you know it's not that I can't do it I'm you know reasonably fit but it's it's all the moves two three four more four three four more. I haven't even got one right you know and then three two one okay now left run there this way okay put that down and we're going over here and I am in the end because I'm not sort of in the flow with everyone I ended up with a, a middle-aged woman tapping me on the shoulder and trying to correct my form as to how I should lift the bar up. She's not an instructor, she's just a class member. And how do I say, not a particularly svelte figure or strong fit, but you know, I don't want to be rude, but it's not like she looked like, oh, well, you really know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? She was just, uh, you know, anyway, she's just a class member. You know what I'm saying? And she's like, I oh, know you do it like this. I'm like, oh. Anyway, why am I saying this? I don't know why I'm saying that. Gym classes, okay, they're not for everyone. But, but, but they're great because afterwards you're fit for life. You feel stronger if you're an exerciser. You know, you know, you, 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 uh, you know, just you know, kind of do it for the look. You get people say, oh, I've joined a gym and I've got so much energy. It's amazing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's called living active fit life and that's God's will for us to be fit for active service in everyday life and pastors are more like personal trainers so next week I'll be wearing my lycra <laughs> outfit and you can come and well all okay but spiritually you know what I'm saying there's a sense where that's going on when we get equipped and um, and that's God's will and so uh, uh, notice the last verse of that passage on it says that the body grows as each part does its work. I'm jumping ahead because I'll pick the last verse off the six verses, but I'm really talking about the first two verses. But it does relate to this point about the ministry, that there's something for all of us to do. Yeah. Amen? That's, that's my point. Put it this way. Imagine a kid, you know, cricket season's winding down. Uh, and uh, we've had, you know, the summer of cricket. Imagine a kid for Christmas getting a nice new cricket bat and a cricket ball, and then that's it. The parents just go, there you go, go and play. They don't sign him up to a club. They, you know, don't try to hook him up with any other kids to play. He just goes to the nets, sets up a stump, bowls to the stump over and over again. Maybe you've had to do this, you know. Uh, 
I saw two kids at the park the other day and I played cricket, just the two of them, and no nets, they were just in the middle of the field. So, of course, one ball misses it and it rolls all the way down there and he always gets the ball. If he hits it, great, goes back to ball. Hits a big shot, he's going to go way over there to get it. It's very boring. Imagine just one kid batting against the wall on his own. It's just not the way it is meant to be, is it? And so if his experience of cricket stops there just on his own with his cricket bat and ball, he's really missing out. Never joining a team, never training with others, working with others to actually play a match, enjoy the thrill of competition and winning. He's just bowling and batting all by himself. He might even go and watch in a big stadium the superstars of cricket and get entertained, but, you know, he's... That might be thrilling, but he's going to miss out on the very best part of any game, which is, of course, playing it yourself. And so that's sadly the experience of many Christians. You know, they're just practicing, but they're never playing. They're watching others serve God, but they're personally just a, a spectator rather than a participator. And, you know, and so that's not God's will for us. He wants us to be part of the team. Amen. And so we read on the next two verses. It says, we're going to keep growing until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Everyone say mature. Look at the person next to you. If they're your husband and wife. <laughs> so you're going to become mature. Attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. So this is talking about maturity. Because part of being in the church is about growing. Something that, you know, God calls us to become more like Jesus, to grow in our character, to leave behind childish ways, to grow up spiritually so that we can mature into spiritual adults. And notice that chronological age, physical age, has got nothing to do with spiritual age because I've met some grown-up adult people who are incredibly immature. They're still throwing tantrums. They're acting like kids in a sandpit. They're still offended and hurt and upset and won't forgive and move on. And they talk too much and don't listen and learn. And as Paul says here, they get carried away by some fringy kind of doctrine. And they're giving you a DVD from some strange preacher in America about the end times and trying to figure out when Jesus is coming back. You know, so just be careful of that. Because even back then, there were some shonky preachers. You know, in the first, it didn't take long in the first century for already to be a warning about, well, hang on, what are these guys doing? They're preaching, but what's their motive? And what are they going on about that for? Let's just stick to the basics. And, but on the other hand, you can meet some young people who are on fire for God. They're sold out for Jesus. Their hunger and their thirst for him leads them to grow strongly, quickly in their understanding of God's ways and in their character and in their ministry. And so... We just want to be humbly, sincerely, you know, loving, following, serving God and growing in maturity. Amen. Yeah. And it says we grow in unity together so that the body of Christ is built up. Yeah. So that leads to the third point. We talked about ministry, maturity, and now we talk about membership. Because it says in the last two verses, verses 15 and 16, it says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so we are members 
of the body of Christ, just like your body has different parts joined together. In fact, um, you know, membership in the church is is really not it's not at all like what we think of when we talk about membership. You know, say in a club where you can just go and sign bits of paper and have a loose association with people, but uh, you know, and have some kind of administrative connection, but it's really a very strong, close connection with Jesus and with other people. And because Jesus is the head and he's giving us instructions and leadership and we're all, just like your parts of the body, interconnected. In fact, later in the chapter in Ephesians, it says we are members of his body. And the word for members is the same Greek word they used for limb in a body. And so it's a very strong analogy to say we're all part of this body, just like a, a body part is part of your body. And you may know Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, you can read them later, they talk a lot about the body of Christ and, and develop that um, metaphor. Um, uh, you know, I went to see, excuse me for one second, if you don't have water, sorry, I'm just going to rub it in. Mmm. Mmm. Wow. Um, I went to see my eye doctor this week because 30 years ago I got hit in the eye with a tennis ball. And uh, <coughs> so I have to see the ophthalmologist, keep the pressures down, stop me from... Where are you? Oh, there you are. Um, and he, um, he, he goes through, they take these computerised kind of photographs of your eye and then he sits down and this guy he's one of the leaders in his field he's a PhD author he's a university professor he's in demand all over the world he's amazing he's, he's uh, enthusiastic 70 years old acts 35 with his energy levels and he's a committed Christian and so when he sits down and he has to review these pictures and they're on the computer and he zooms in and he gets carried away talking to me about the intelligent design the wonderful creation of the eye and he uses words i've never even heard of i can't follow i just play dumb i just oh, oh yeah okay and he's talking about the cross-section of the retina and the iris and the optimally this and that and the there's all sorts of bits and glands and veins and things that i i can't even follow the picture he's saying see this this white dot here i'm like uh, yeah but but he's it's hilarious and we always run really late like, he runs late, like so late that you, I mean, I know doctors have to run late for some reason. Even if they're there, they see you coming and you're on time, they're on time, they've got nothing to do. I think they just go for a walk. I just think, I don't want to ruin the profession. I don't want to be with that guy that, you know, is actually on time. They'll all lose their business. It's, I don't know what it is, but, and so he, because he gets so carried away, I mean, the, his assistant came, knocked on the door the other day and said, I'm sorry, Ian. You're running an hour and a half late. And I was his first appointment. Because I've learned I make the appointments as early as I can. So as much as the traffic's bad going to Chatswood at 7.30 in the morning, I know that I'm not sitting in the waiting room for three hours. And if I don't have an early appointment, I ring them on the way down and they say, how's he going? They go, oh, yeah, go shopping. It'll be a couple of hours, you know. <laughs> but my point is he just so loves this particular part of the human body. He's so passionate about it. Um, oh, by the way, you know 2020 vision? It's not that great. He told me the other day, you know, people say 2020, it's a bit of an urban myth, 2020 vision. Oh, oh well. Um, he says, oh, he's surgeons, they do surgery, you know, cataract or whatever, and they say, oh, yeah, they've now got 2020 vision. He goes, oh, what went wrong? And I go, what do you mean? He goes, no, no, because it's the, it's the third, uh, 
You know, the smell and eye chart is the chart you see all over the place. That's the third bottom line, 2020. You want to go for 2012, that's the bottom line. So some of you probably have 2012 vision and uh, didn't know. You thought 2020 was good enough. Anyway, there you go, a bit of ophthalmology trivia for you. Um, the point is, he tells me, uh, you know, all about how God's designed the eye and how amazing it is. And that tells me that if God has designed each part of our physical body so wonderfully and put all the bits together to work together so well, then he loves to do the same with the spiritual body of Christ. That he is madly interested in each one of us as each part. You might be the eye and the person next to you is the sinew that connects that thumb bit that goes with the, and you ask Luke or Shelley or someone with a degree in medical science and they'll tell you all the amazing bits that all work together and that's exactly how it is in the body of Christ. God loves us, he calls us, and he's, all, he's got bits for us all to do. And as you read in Corinthians, no one should say, oh, well, I'm not the eye, that's the fancy, intricate bit that I'm just a, a, a big toe, I'm hidden away in the smelly boots of, you know. It's like, no, 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 no one's ever been able to run properly without a big toe. You might be hidden away, but you need that big toe to walk and run, and every little bit is important, yeah? And so ministry... Maturity, membership, we're all called to being part of the body of Christ. So why don't you just lean into your ministry, your calling to serve God and, and respond to that gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit as he leads you to maturity, calling us and helping us to become more like Jesus and grow in our character. And, and then, of course, why don't you also appreciate and embrace your vital role in, uh, in the body of Christ, yeah, as a member of the body of Christ. And so there's so much more we could say about the church, but it is hot, so I'm going to stop there. Uh, but I want to encourage you, you know, when you read the New Testament, just there's so many scriptures that encourage us to, to grow in God, to develop our lives, but it's, it's not in our own strength. It's always just with the leading and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It helps us track well with him. So let's pray uh, and we'll come to a close. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.